So, tonight I'm going to talk about um, confession. Um, and we often hear, or maybe we often hear, sermons that we should go to confession. But actually what I'm going to talk about tonight is about how to go to confession, in particular how to make a better confession. I'd like to start um, by kind of telling you my own experience. So when I was newly ordained, I suddenly had the experience of knowing what somebody else says in confession. So I kind of, I'd known for years what I say in confession and kind of imagined everybody else would be the same. Um, and actually, once you start hearing other people's confessions, you get a glimpse on one level of just how different people are. Um, but also in hearing different people's confessions, I learned how to make a better confession because I would hear from different people different things they would say, and I think, oh, yes, seeing something about, my, about myself and what they were saying. Um, and also hearing how people articulate themselves or don't. Um, so how do you go to confession? Do you make a good confession or a bad confession? And how would you know? Because I imagine none of you here have ever had a priest say, that was a lousy confession. Yeah? Because um, if a priest did say that to you, that would be quite a devastating thing. Um, and even if it was true, he's not likely to say that was pretty rubbish, wasn't it? Um, so we kind of need to think how to make our confession better, even if we've not actually been formally corrected um, that that was useless, go away and come back. Um, so that's really the purpose of this, this little talk, is what to do to make a better confession and with that, how to make my confession bear more fruit in my life. But before I think about how, um, First, you know, that how often? How often should I go to confession? Um, and to start by noting that there are, in a sense, a number of possibilities. Um, some of you, I'm sure, have heard me use the analogy of a car engine with all the different bits in it. And the car engine has lots of different moving pieces in it. And if one piece moves really fast and the other's moving slow, um, the engine grinds against itself and will self-destroy. You want in an engine, as the car speeds up, all the pieces to gather speed together. And the frequency of our confession needs to be the same. Um, that how often I go to confession in part depends on how often I'm doing the other things in my spiritual life. So how often I'm praying, how often I'm reading the Bible. Um, those things affect also how often I should go to confession. So the standard advice is monthly confession. So a parishioner who goes to Mass just on a Sunday, and that's pretty much all they do. They kind of do the minimum, um, but they do do it. Well, the, the standard advice is monthly confession. Um, 
Uh, there is a higher standard, a higher frequency. Um, so St. Francis de Sales in the introduction to the devout life, he is among those who recommend weekly confession. Um, so in the 1917 Code of Canon Law, it was required, if you were a nun or a monk, that you went to confession every week. Um, and those of you who've had contact with what are called the new ecclesial movements in the church, which are predominantly youth movements, will know that among them, weekly confession is very common. And then we even have the example, so Pope John Paul II's personal example is daily confession. Um, now one would imagine, um, you know, he's a canonized saint, that he didn't have huge things he was confessing, but he knew himself well enough to know every day that he had something to say. So there's a kind of spectrum of frequency. Um, and then the lowest end of it, the, the minimum, is to confess once a year. Um, that's kind of the legal minimum, that the law of the church says, what's called the second precept of the church, which you can find in the Catechism, paragraph 2042. You shall confess your sins at least once a year. And that's often called, therefore, the Easter duty. Strictly speaking, the Easter duty is about communion. Um, the, the third precept of the church says, you shall receive this sacrament of the Eucharist at least during the Easter season. So the law of the church requires us once a year to go to communion. And if we're going to make that communion suitably disposed, we need to confess at least once a year at Easter. But if you're wanting to go to communion more than once a year, you should be wanting to go to confession more than once a year. Um, so um, Pope Pius X, you know, a little over a hundred years ago, started at a grand scale uh, encouraging the laity to make more frequent um, communions, and with that more frequent confession. So there was a period of time when you had a frequency of both of these things, frequent communion, frequent confession. And then somehow, the spirit of the 60s and the 70s, everything's okay, nobody's, people just stopped going to confession, but still started going for frequent communion, which is out of kilter. Um, so, a little word there about the frequency of how often we go to confession. It should depend on the frequency of the other things. It should be at least once a year, but um, if you're wanting regular communion, uh, I'd say at least once a month. So what to do when you get to confession? Um, or in a sense, what to do in your preparing it? How, when you're examining your conscience, when you're thinking, what am I going to say when I get in there? Well, first I'd say prioritize your sins. So sometimes, you know, one of the things that can be a bit frustrating at the priest's end is when there's just a whole kind of jumble of things um, without indicating what's more important or less important. And actually when I'm feeling my sorrow, um,
So I'm giving a, a talk on how to go to confession, right? And how to make a better confession. And I was just talking about um, what we say when we go to confession and saying how we should plan, uh, prioritise what we say so that we distinguish the things that are more important from the things that are less important. So I might go to confession um, and I'm really aware of this argument I had with somebody and I want to, in a sense, indicate that as important in my sorrow, as a big thing in my sorrow, so I indicate that in how I make my confession, what I start with. Um, so in a sense, prioritise what's important subjectively in terms of my sorrow. Prioritise also what in itself is more important. So that little sins shouldn't be confessed as if they were as important as big sins. That I should know myself and know my life well enough to know that actually these are the things that are actually important. Um, so your serious sins, get those clear in the priority. Your most common sins, so that varies for different ones of us. You know, some people, impatience will be a big thing for them and it's just not much of a thing for somebody else. And it might be as serious as sin, but you know, the frequency of it should indicate where it slots in our structure, in our confession. And then the last thing in terms of prioritising, um, what's called a particular examine. So it's always good in our lives to have something I am working on at this moment. At this moment in my life, I'm working on this sin. And because of that, even though it might not be as big or as common or whatever, because I've been battling this particular thing, trying to overcome this particular thing, therefore it has a certain pride of place uh, in my confession. So, how to confess? First, prioritise your sins. Second, um, make sure we get the, the useful detail. Not irrelevant detail, but useful detail, relevant detail. So um, it's always helpful when we start our confession to indicate our state of life, because that then puts an immediate explanation for everything else that follows. So to say, um, I'm 40 years old and I'm married with two children, you know, instantly puts a context for everything else. And you can just say that and it kind of explains what's coming next. Um, then details the details that describe the sin so don't describe and the risk of sounding sexist here this is something that let's say a teenage girl would be much more likely to do than a mature man a mature man will often tend to be overly mechanical and brief Whereas, a, like, a teenage girl would spew forth all kinds of stuff um, about her feelings, maybe, but not things that actually explain the sin. So we want details that explain the sin. Those are the things that are relevant in confession. 
the one particular piece of advice. So St. Francis de Sales says, don't mention names in confession. So don't say, um, I shouted at Julia this week. Rather say, I shouted at my wife. Yeah, the, the relationship to you is a kind of pivotal detail, a thing that's important. Your wife has a particular right, demand from you, that you would be patient with her. So to say I shouted at my wife kind of articulates the sin much more clearly than saying it was Julia, yeah? Because who's Julia? Um, th th that doesn't explain the sin. Um, and then the last bit of circumstance detail that's relevant is um, as Council Trent puts it, circumstances that considerably aggravate or extenuate their malice. So I did something wrong and actually I had no excuse. Or I did this thing that was wrong and I was very tired. Um, with some things it's, it is actually a relevant bit of information. Um, not to try and excuse ourselves all the time we are there wanting to be sorry and express our sorrow but sometimes that can be relevant to to the confession now thinking about why confession helps us um, so one of the ways confession helps us is it helps us grow in self-knowledge. So the philosopher Socrates famously said, know thyself. That if you don't know yourself, you can't improve, you can't change. If I don't know that I'm naturally loud, I'm naturally pushy, I'm naturally always getting my own way, if I don't know myself, well, I can't see what's wrong, I can't improve. Um, if I don't know I'm naturally weak and I'm naturally never pushing myself, you know, if I don't know myself, I can't improve. Well, one of the ways we know ourselves is the whole process of examination that goes with confession. Um, so, you know, I'm sure you've all seen, when I've handed these out in the past before, examinations of conscience, um, that they help us by being like a mirror, that I see these lists of sins that somebody else has listed, and that helps me think, oh, actually, yes, that's something I do, and I hadn't thought of that, I didn't realize that. Um, the danger, though, with a, a list like that is we don't internalize it, I don't make it my confession. So sometimes I see someone go into confession with uh, all kinds of ticks, um, and there are five fifty sevens and three forty nines. Um, whereas actually, we want to have that help me see myself, but to be able to put it in my words that I'm seeing this, I'm saying this. Um, so we want to internalize it, um, and I find frequently. Um, it helps me to write my sins down in advance so that I don't go in there and find it's a memory test. Um, 
Sometimes I do. Most of the time I don't. But um, if you struggle to remember, writing things down in advance is, is a good way to stop making it a memory test. Okay, one very practical piece of advice. Um, so we're, you know, the saints talk about, commend the practice of a nightly examination of our conscience. Um, and they base this um, on the ancient monks who took the pattern of the day as being like the pattern of life. That life has a beginning and an end. A day has a beginning and an end. A day comes to a close. And at the close of life, there will be a final judgment. And at the close of my day, I put myself in a mini-judgment before the Lord. I examine my day before the Lord. Um, so this is the practice of the monks um, that they kind of structurally had um, and that has been carried with that into the whole church. And it's a kind of logical time at the end of the day to pause and reflect, that we're stopping our activity, we're stopping our doing, doing, doing. It's a kind of natural moment to think about my day. It's good to think what I have to give thanks to God for for my day, but also um, what I have to apologise to him for. Um, but how do we examine ourselves? Um, well, um, it's often what's called the, the difference between a general examination and a particular examination. So a general examination, I look at everything, um, my whole life, all seven deadly sins, all ten commandments I kind of run through. Um, but there is a thing called the particular examination. And um, St. Ignatius of Loyola and the Jesuits were probably most famous for having kind of pioneered this as a tool in the spiritual life. But the whole notion of a particular examination is I have a thing that I'm working on, a particular thing I'm working on, um, and that therefore has a particular focus in my examination. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's the most important thing in my life, but it's something I'm working on now. So I see my spiritual director once a month. Um, each time I see him, I will talk through various things, but among them, what I will be examining myself in a particular way for the next month. I will be working on some virtue or working against some vice for the next month. And that that then for, has, for a period of time, a particular focus in my nightly examination. How have I succeeded or failed with respect to this particular challenge I'm setting myself? And usually with something like that, we try to pick a thing that other things hinge around. So, um, you know, what's called the heroic minute, how we respond to the alarm clock at that first minute. Um, a small thing, but can be a trigger point for the whole day. Or I might be working on my punctuality, aware that 
in planning my time, in planning my use of time, in planning whether I'm going to be on time for someone else, is one way of thinking of that someone else, that other person. Am I going to be on time? Uh, or am I going to just get there um, and have a kind of excuse for being a little bit late but not too late? Um, punctuality can be a single thing I work on, I focus on the all kinds of other things in my life pivot, pivot around. Um, so a particular examination isn't necessarily, and frequently isn't, in itself a big sin, but a thing that I'm working on at this moment. So that kind of, if I'm working on something different every month, um, I'm always thinking fresh. I'm not just in a stale rut with how I confess, how I examine myself. Okay, a couple of thoughts about um, how to build on your confession. So your confession should change your life. Um, one of the reasons we repent is to change our life. I'm sorry for my past. I want to be different for the future. That's what being sorry is about. Um, well, how do I, what can I kind of do in the confession and around the confession that kind of can make it a kickstart for changing my life? Well, one thing is to focus on the purpose of amendment. So purpose of amendment means, I'm sorry for this, I intend not to do it again. Now, at a base level, if you're in intend to do it again, you're not sorry. Um, but I can kind of intend it with greater clarity, intend it with greater purpose, greater oomph, so to speak. Um, and I should, in making my confession, um, and in, you know, the, if you say one of the standard acts of contrition in your confession, it will say um, not to do it again that this will be part of the words, to focus on those words, to mean them. With that, resolutions. Resolutions meaning decisions, plans about something. So I make an examination before I get into the confessional, and as I examine and see this sin, to just make a small decision about what that will look like in practice for the next day, if I'm going to repent of that, so I'm going to change it. So I confess gluttony and I make a small little plan that I'm going to avoid being in the kitchen the hour before supper because that's when I'm going to be snacking or something. Um, or I confess getting annoyed with my mother and so I resolve that I'm going to start tomorrow by immediately, first thing in the morning, greeting her with a smile. Um, a small, little resolution that's the opposite of whatever sin I'm confessing. Then the penance. Now, sadly, the penance can be almost a thing that's dismissed or ignored or that the, the phrase 
go do three Hail Marys has become so routine in so many places that it, it can make the whole thing seem meaningless. Um, when we do penance, actually, it should affect our whole engagement with the whole thing. Um, so just to remind ourselves why we need to do penance. Um, and again, you may have heard this analogy before, but so if a child at home throws a tantrum, throws a glass of milk on the floor, it shatters and the milk's everywhere, um, and then immediately says, Mummy, I'm sorry, and, and is sorry. Well, if Mummy says, I forgive you, then the child's being forgiven. But the milk is still on the floor. The milk still needs to be cleared up. Being forgiven for having thrown a tantrum and shattered the glass doesn't clear up the milk. Penance in our lives is that clearing up of the milk. So it's not just being forgiven, but doing that on all kinds of levels those things in my life that undo the damage that my sin has caused. And that in part is the damage within myself, so there's a residue of sin in me. There's also the damage to those around me that needs to be cleared up. All of that I need to want to put right. And so when the priest gives you a penance, it's not that, that saying that three Hail Marys sorts it all out. The three Hail Marys is a sign, or it should be, if we've understood what we're doing, it's a sign of our desire, our intention, to go out there and put things right. And part of the way I put things right is by the power of my prayer, so hopefully not just the three Hail Marys, but the priest assigns a specific thing that does have a specific power, a specific value, um, but that in a sense isn't the end of it. Um, I won't go into plenary indulgences now, but a plenary indulgence, then that is the end of it all sorted. But an assigned penance isn't a plenary indulgence. Um, so, um, So when we're doing our penance, we should have this sense, what I'm doing is a small gesture of my desire to undo the damage of my sin. And I point out what's called, um, it's not defined doctrine of the church, but it's a commonly held opinion of that um, other penances that we do, if we think back to our last confession and our last penance and spiritually unite them to that, then they gain an extra value. So I deny myself some pleasure on a Friday and I spiritually unite that with my last assigned penance um, so that it kind of ties into the whole thing of, of the sacrament of confession. Um, Okay, a thing about why this is all important. Um, what does confession gain us? Well, one of the things it gains us is that we know we're sinners. 
that there are lots of people out there who deny that there's anything wrong. I'm a good person. Um, but when I go to confession, I'm realizing I'm not. Um, I'm realizing that all the things in my life that are a problem, well, actually, I'm part of the problem. So to just think of an example I was remembering in another church where I once was, um, where there I was as the priest, um, and I would repeatedly have this phenomenon of these two old ladies annoying me. Um, and they annoyed me because they would each, in front of everybody, be battling over what speed the prayer was going to be. One would be racing ahead at one speed, and the other would be very loudly and forcefully dragging back um, and there was this fight going on in the middle of every prayer that, you know, I'm supposed to be able to pray at this moment and instead and I'm r annoyed by these two ladies. Um, and what am I supposed to do as the, the good priests? March over there and give her a slap? Give them both a slap? Um, well, you know, I don't think that's what the good priest is supposed to do. Um, but when I'm going to confession, I realise that actually I'm part of the problem. That actually the two old ladies having their battle over there, well, yeah, there is a problem there, but my reaction to it is also as much of a problem um, as they are. And this is the gift, in a sense, given to me by going to confession regularly. To realise that a big part of what's problematic in my life is what I bring to it. And if I go around blaming everybody else, always <coughs> blaming the two little old ladies, um, I'm not seeing that actually I can engage with that situation very differently, that I'm part of the problem. I don't know if you've heard the anecdote about Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Um, so she was visiting a seminary, uh, and this is back in the 1980s, there was a very fashionable book in the 1980s called I'm Okay, You're Okay. Um, and it's one of these self-help books to make you feel good about yourself. I'm okay, you're okay. And Mother Teresa was visiting the seminary and she saw in the seminarian's room this book, I'm Okay, You're Okay. And Mother Teresa said, I'm not okay. And you're not okay. And it's not okay. that we live in a culture where we are frequently told that you're okay, there's nothing wrong. Um, actually, there is something wrong, and it's healthy to admit that. So the Bible says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Now that's in the Bible. So that's a long time ago. So, you know, this thing about people denying that there's something wrong with them, denying that they've sinned, it's not entirely a new problem, um, but it does have a particular thing about our culture. So, um, so preaching about 
just a few weeks ago. Um, you know, recent popes from the 1950s onwards have said there's a noticeable phenomenon in our culture of this modern um, a loss of the sense of sin. Uh, Pope Francis was noticing, even since I gave that sermon, was preaching about it again. Um, we don't realise there's a God. We don't realise that my personal acts offend him. And I therefore lose the sense of sin, of my behaviour having a personal dimension. Whereas the saints, the saints knew that God was real. Um, and the saints who lived better lives than us knew they were sinners. You know, back to John Paul II, daily confession, he knew every day he had something to say. Um, and yet he was living a better life than me. Um, but I don't go that often. For those people who have lost the sense of sin, are they as culpable as the people that, that do know what they're doing? Because they just don't know. They really don't know, do they? So not automatically. Mm. So it would depend why you don't have a sense of mm. sin. So, so there would be some children growing up in our culture who you could say in a sense it's their parents' fault and their parents' parents' fault mm. um, that, that they've lost that sense. And that it's the philosophers who have taught us there is no God mm. that it's their fault. Um, but even so... There's something about that that should be innate in us. Um, but I think the question of whose fault it is is different from the fact that it is a thing in our culture. Mm -hmm. yeah. So the last thing I want to say is about the healthiness of this. So it's healthy to realise you're a sinner. It's healthy to realise reality. Um, to live in denial, to not know that there's something wrong with you, that's not healthy. You know, psychologists, you know, this concept of denial is a thing. Um, and we can deny um, all kinds of our sins. But if you know you've been forgiven, if you know that forgiveness is a real thing, then actually we have a comfortableness in admitting that we've sinned. That because I know there is a God who will forgive me every time I come back to him, I don't need to pretend. I can be honest with myself because I'm able to be honest with him. If he was an unforgiving God, if he was a God with no mercy, then I might have to pretend to him and pretend to myself. Um, but because of who he is, who he's shown himself to be, who he's told himself, told us he is, I can admit my sin to him, to myself. I can admit reality and rejoice in it. Um, it's healthy psychology to go to the priest and hear that voice saying, that I'm absolved, to hear that voice take my sins away. There's something wonderfully healthy about this, and it's, it's God's gift.
to all of our sin. I've talked about how often to confess. Um, I've talked about how to structure your confession, to prioritise things in terms of what's more important, what's less important, what's more frequent, what's less frequent, what you're working on at this moment. I've talked about how confession helps us grow in self-knowledge and how we grow in that by our pattern of regularly examining ourselves. And the particular thing I talked about, examine ourselves with a particular examine, that the practice of choosing something I'm working on at this moment. Um, and I've talked also about how confession benefits us by flowing out into the rest of our lives, enabling me to grow in that sense of purpose of amendments, growing in my desire to change life by taking that assigned penance out into a motivation um, in my whole life to, to do penance. And I know I'm a sinner, and I know I'm forgiven.